Paul's letter to the Corinthians is a letter to a church. Now, this might sound like common sense. Why am I pointing out the obvious? But if we really stop to think about this, it should change the way that we receive this letter. It's not a letter written to an individual Christian. It's written to a community, a corporate entity. And that means we have to receive it as a corporate entity. These letters would have been written and circulated and uh, read out loud by certain representatives before the assembled church at Corinth. And this means that people would be hearing it as something directed to a you that is plural, not a you that is singular. And so when we read these isolated just as individual Christians thinking about it only in regard to our own lives as individuals, we miss the full force of what Paul is trying to do. And one of the things we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6 is that the church bears corporate responsibility for its holiness. That sin and the sin of members within the congregation matters to the entire congregation. And that we all have a part to play in the integrity and holiness of a church. We are one body bearing responsibility. And that can take different forms. In some instances, bearing responsibility for the witness of the church and the holiness of the church means overlooking offenses and forgiving one another, as in the case of lawsuits, which we're going to read about. But in other instances, it can mean swiftly dealing with sin in a decisive manner, as in the case of Paul calling the Corinthians to excommunicate a man who is sleeping with his stepmother. Both of these represent and illuminate the importance of corporate responsibility for Christians in the New Testament church. And this is an important lesson for us to learn, or else we're going to miss the point of 1 Corinthians. This is Understanding 1 Corinthians. So far in our series on 1 Corinthians, we've seen that the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to deal with some issues he's learned about in the church at Corinth, which he planted. Certain people are dividing up into different factions. Some people are saying, I'm of Paul. Others, I'm of Apollos. Others, I'm of uh, Cephas. And these divisions are fracturing the church at Corinth, and Paul is telling them, this is antithetical to the gospel. You are preaching a message about Christ crucified, about God himself taking on human flesh and humbling himself to the point of death and being crucified. And you're taking that message of radical humility and using it as a way to buttress up yourself, to make yourself look superior and more spiritual and more powerful than other people. In other words, he's saying that you are acting like the world while preaching Christ. And those two things cannot coexist. And then Paul applies that to himself. He says, look, I didn't come to you with spiritual power. I came to you in meekness, in humility, in weakness, like Christ did. But Paul compares his resume. He's saying, I'm an apostle. I'm on death row. I'm being persecuted and hunted and reviled and hated. And you guys, you are so powerful, right? You Corinthians are so spiritual and you are kings and you are ruling. And he compares the resumes and says, well, who looks more like Christ? Paul does. And that's why Paul says, imitate me. Imitate my crucified life. Because that's the pattern that all Christians should follow. And in chapters 5 and 6, which we're going to look at today, Paul applies that principle to lawsuits among believers 
and sexual immorality among believers. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For although absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. 
for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Sin is a community issue. And sin affects the community like leaven in a new lump. It's going to spread and infect the whole thing. Therefore, it must be purged. And Paul uses Old Testament execution laws and applies them to excommunication. He says that in the Old Testament Israel, they had to purge evil people by literally killing them. And he's saying, I don't want you to apply that strictly in a one-for-one way, but there's a principle in the Old Testament law that applies to the New Testament church of cleansing out, of separating out sin from the holy community. And Paul is being a little sarcastic here, like he is throughout the whole letter. He's saying, you tough and spiritual Corinthians, you boast in your sin, but this is a sin that even pagans think is disgusting. A man is sleeping with his stepmother. Now, his stepmother is not part of the church. Otherwise, she would also be called to account. So this man is sleeping with his stepmother, who's probably not a Christian at all, and they're just approving of it. In fact, they're boasting of this man's freedom, and Paul is calling them foolish. And he says, what you should be doing instead of boasting is mourning over this sin. And I want you guys to gather together, and I will be with you by the Holy Spirit, and you are to judge this man. You are to excommunicate him. You are to apply the purging laws of the Old Testament in a New Testament way by excommunicating this man. And the goal of this excommunication, of this church discipline, is for the sake of the man. It's it's so that his spirit might be saved on the last day. It's so that by him being cut off from the community of God, he might come to his senses and repent of his sin. And this shows us that, that the problems that the church faces are oftentimes internal. Now, the people at Corinth are misinterpreting Paul's words. In a prior letter, he's probably said something about not associating with the sexually immoral. And the Corinthians are saying, oh, he means like all the ungodly people out there. And Paul's saying, well, no, I'm not saying that you can't like engage with the world. Otherwise, you'd have to leave the world entirely. Now, you are going to be in the world, but you're not going to be of it. You're going to be interacting with different people in your workplace, in the public sphere, who are going to be sinners. And he's like, you can eat with them. That's fine. The problem is when you are fellowshipping with people who claim the name of brother, who are baptized Christians, who who claim to be part of your local church, and they are walking in unrepentant sin, and you are fellowshipping with them. He's saying, don't coddle them. Don't let them think that their continued adultery is just okay, that we're going to turn a blind eye to their uh, evil. And he says, don't eat with them. Don't eat with those who profess to be brothers but are living in a contrary way. Now, this is different than people who are struggling with sin, which we all are to some extent. This is different than a person who hates their sin, who wants to change, but it's a long, messy process. That's different. We should obviously eat with people in in those instances. We should obviously be patient and caring, but we should not allow the unrepentant sin of people to disrupt and harm other people in the church. We are often our own worst enemy. Churches fall today because of threats from within, not without, whether it's within the leadership or within the congregation. And it is the corporate responsibility of the members of the church to be on guard, to look out for one another, and to be serious about the pervasive and uh, long-ranging effects of sin. Now, Paul now goes to the fact that people are suing each other. And he says, "Don't, don't sue each other or don't go to these pagan courts to adjudicate your squabbles, probably about property. Now, in the Roman 
governmental system or the Roman judicial system, oftentimes it privileged the rich, right? If you were rich, you had access to greater resources and you could sue uh, poor people, you could take advantage of them, all these types of things. And Paul, again, is saying, why are you guys preaching Christ but living like the world? Why are you using this system to your benefit? Now, he's not saying that you can never use the legal system. I think, obviously, the legal system is good, you know, uh, but he's saying you should not use it in a frivolous way. You should not use it to defraud uh, other people. And he even rebukes them. He says, why are you acting in this way? Why are Why not just be defrauded, right? If you're a rich guy, why nickel and dime the poor people in your church? Why not just take the offense? Do you want the world to think that the church is petty, that we can't solve our own problems? Now, this has been often used by people trying to cover up sin to say, don't go to the authorities because of a you know sexual abuse case or something like that. That's dangerous stuff. This is not talking about the rightful use of the civil magistrate. This is talking about the abuse of the legal system and the use of it by the rich people within a church to disenfranchise those who are less well off. And he's saying, don't act like that. Even if you have the means, you know, to to sue people, and maybe even if you have a case, why do it? Why not think about the reputation of the church? Why not think about your brother and how it's affecting him? And maybe just absorb the loss. Can you do that? Did Christ absorb losses? This is a radical statement, but Paul wants us to think corporately. He wants us to think that it's not just the pastor's job to take care of the image of the church. But it's all of our job. And this is not, again, just to present a perfect, pristine image or to play PR for the church, but to say we want the church to genuinely reveal to the world unity, that we really are the one body by the one spirit, loving one another, dependent upon one another. We represent more than just ourselves, is the point. And then he goes to sexual sin. And again, he talks about uh, some people who are who are referring to the body uh, as as something that is inconsequential, right? So he first he talks about these very bodily sins, right? He he talks about um, homosexuality, and he actually talks about uh, this Greek word malakoi, which is actually kind of hidden underneath the term for homosexuality. Uh, so really, it, it, he's talking about this list of sins, right? His list of sins that says the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, and the effeminate. And this is kind of an interesting idea. Malakoi means there's, there's these are soft men. I'm not saying that guys who like art or like to sing or, you know, guys who aren't soft are the ones who, you know, hunt deer and arm wrestle or whatever. It's not talking about this false machismo. But he's talking about a narcissistic kind of self-indulgent man. They would often be men who cross-dress or they would sort of play the, the female role in a homosexual relationship. And Paul says, this is not becoming of, of how you should act. So it's not just homosexuality, but it's also this effeminacy that Paul is saying does not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he talks about thieves and the greedy and drunkards and revilers and swindlers, these people living for bodily pleasures. He's saying, if you are not caring at all what you do with your body, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not just about your mind and your thoughts and your inner spirit within you. Your body will inherit the kingdom of God and how you sin in that body matters, right? But the point isn't the sin, right? The the sins are listed out for this conclusion. And such were some of you. 
but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's the gospel right there. That's the hope, right? You're not left in your sin. You might have been an adulterer, an idolater, effeminate, a homosexual, a thief, greedy, a drunkard, whatever you were, here's the promise. That can be past tense. You can be washed. You can be set apart for holiness, sanctified. You can be justified. You can be declared morally righteous because of God's action for you in Jesus Christ by his spirit. God is giving you a gift that you can be cleansed. This no longer has to be who you are. And he's looking out this congregation of former sinners, right? Former people who have done all these things, terrible things. And he's saying, you are washed. God has redeemed you. Now, act like redeemed people. And that's what the rest of chapter 6 is about. And what you see in verses 12 through 20 is Paul's doing a little back and forth. He's quoting things that the Corinthians are saying and then adding a rebuttal to them. He's quoting what they're saying and then adding a rebuttal. So the first quote is, the Corinthians are saying, all things are lawful for me. I'm super spiritual. I have freedom in Christ. I can do whatever I want. And Paul says, yeah, but not all things are helpful. Just because you can do things doesn't mean that you should. Right? You say, well, all things are lawful for me. Yeah, but are you being dominated by anything? Are, are, your, are there Christian freedoms you have enslaving you? Right? It's no longer freedom then. There's another quote. They're saying food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And I actually think this next part is still part of the Corinthians misquoting Paul or misunderstanding Paul. They say that food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Richard Hayes, in his commentary, talks about this as the Corinthians saying that they're saying that uh, when you get hungry, you should eat. And when you have sexual urges, you should have sex. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. God's going to destroy both your stomach and all the food and, and all the physical things. And Paul says, absolutely not. Right? He says, the body was not created for sexual immorality, and it belongs to the Lord. Right? And God raised up the Lord's physical body, and he will raise up our physical body too. In other words, our bodies belong to Christ. Our physical bodies belong to Christ. Not just our minds and our emotions, our physical bodies belong to Christ. That's why baptism is an immersion of our bodies, right? Because God's going to raise up our bodies. What we do with our bodies matters. And that's an important point that Paul is trying to make, right? You were once this way. You acted with your bodies in this way, but you've been washed. You are no longer this person. That's Whenever someone's, you know, quote-unquote backsliding, you need to remind them of the gospel. You need to remind them of what Christ has done. That this is not who you are. You're acting out of accord with your identity, with what Christ has declared you to be. And by the way, what you do with your body matters in a metaphysical sense, right? He says, don't think that you can just declare you're a Christian and sleep with a prostitute. Because if your body belongs to Christ, if your body is a member of Christ, you are joining Christ to this prostitute. Would you ever want to do that? Right? When a husband and a wife become one flesh, when they, have, uh, when they have sex, that is a unifying act. It's not just the exchange of bodily fluids, as graphic as that sounds. No, something is happening. A unifying is happening there. And in the same way, when we are unified with Christ, we are bringing him into everything that we do. We often don't think about this, but our bodies matter. They belong to God. Therefore, flee from sexual morality, Right? If you are sexually immoral, you are sinning against your own body that the Lord has bought with his blood. And more than that, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's an amazing phrase. 
If you, uh, in, in the time that this is being written, the, the Jerusalem temple would still be up and they'd look out there and they'd be like, I would never desecrate that thing. I would never vandalize that thing. I would never try to destroy it because that's where God dwells. That's where his spirit dwells. It's a holy, sacred place. And imagine Paul saying, actually, that's no longer where God dwells. He dwells now in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, would you desecrate that temple? You, why would you, you would never desecrate that that temple out there, why would you desecrate yourself if you are now the temple of God? Your body is sacred. You are not your own. God has bought you body and soul for himself. Therefore, just as the, the building temple, is, it was created to glorify God, so also you, the living temple, must glorify God with your body. That's its purpose. We don't call the shots over our bodies. They are given to us to worship and glorify God because God has redeemed us body and soul. All of us belongs to him.